How many of you glad he conquered the grave? Amen. 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 I am excited to gather with the saints. The more and more I grow as a believer, the more and more I see the vitality of what it means for us to gather and for us to come together and the importance of the church of God. Amen, somebody. Amen, Amen somebody. And so speaking of that, on February 14th, I mean 16th, we're having our next Covenant Community class, and I'm excited for that. And last week after the sermon, I don't know why, 30 people joined the church. I was like, wow. I was like, we got to do that more often, you know what I'm saying? But it was just glad to see people passionate about, I thought it was like 10, you know, 15, something, it was 30 people. So I was glad to see uh, the, Lord, uh, the, the Lord add to his number in that way in relation to this local church. And so people got saved last week, trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And last year I was excited to see over 160 people trust Christ here at Epiphany Fellowship, and that doesn't even count the people that got saved on the street, and so just excited for God's work uh, to save lives, and that's why we're here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, um, just a few things. I want to shout out some people. Um, I want to shout out Trey. Is Trey here? Trey? Trey, where Trey at? Where you at? You back there? I want to shout out Trey. My man was here seven-something in the morning yesterday, putting plastic on all the windows upstairs and, and just serving. I want to thank God for Trey doing that. I want to shout out Miss V, Miss V for doing the basement, the little co conference room. She reposted furniture and carrying on. So thank you, sis. Amen. That behind the scenes stuff. And also want to thank Brother Bazil Hillhouse. Um, that brother, that brother literally helped a pipe that got uh, somebody found a pipe. I think it was Steve, uh, 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 Stefan. Uh, who found it, uh, uh, Stephen, I'm sorry, who found it in the basement, and, and then Brother Bazil went down, got a plumber. I mean, nobody knows this stuff. is a basement about to get flooded out and all that stuff and work so we can have working bathrooms today. And he does so much behind closed doors that nobody sees and just come up here and does stuff. And so, um, um, you know, so I'll make my rounds and mention you. Don't get tight-eyed because some of y'all ain't get mentioned. So... You know, just be faithful. Be faithful. Even if I don't see, God sees. Amen. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I see somebody, somebody out there feeling away, you know, right now. You know, and so, um, you know, so, but, 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 it's, but, it, but it's wonderful to see God's people plug in and serve and not looking for recognition, but just want to make sure that God's work in ministry is facilitated. So let's give God a hand praise for those folks once again. Um, I'm thankful for Big Rob stepping in as one of our assistant minister of music now, one of assistants, and him doing that, and growing, growing in his skill to lead praise and worship. Y'all see God using him and carrying on, you know what I'm saying? I'm proud of you, brother. You know you come a mighty long way. Amen. And so <laughs> to see the Lord got guys serving different men and women just all around the church, it does my heart uh, good to see people just wanting to plug in and just wanting to do what God has called them to do in relation to their role in the local church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's, uh, let's uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. When you get there, say amen. 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 I'll start reading and you continue uh, reading. Let's go together. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Keep going.
Amen. 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 Um, I would like to talk about in this segment of our series, uh, Facing Unrepentant Sin in the Local Church. Facing Unrepentant Sin in the Local Church. Let's pray. Lord and living God, uh, every word Jesus said uh, matters. He said, um, heaven and earth will pass away before any jot and tittle of your word will pass away. So God, today I just uh, pray for our time today that you wouldn't have anybody check out, uh, but they would check in deeply. And, and I, I'm, I'm pretty, it's always uh, challenging to deal with a text like this, but I'm glad that all of the word of God is yours. And it's inspired and it's profitable for doctrine and training in righteousness. So God, train us in righteousness today and stand with your servant today as he has the task of communicating to your people. Help your people to be receptive. Help their signals to be full, Lord God. No bars absent, but all of their signals up and receptive to download this app from this verse. And so, God, I pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you in advance, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be, you may be seated. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that I did not uh, like school when I was growing up. Uh, I liked recess and I liked lunch, and I liked before school, and I liked after school. That's what I liked, and I, I don't know if anybody felt that way about school, but it wasn't until I got into undergrad where I began to enjoy school, and then when I got deep into my, my master's degree program in seminary where I began enjoying the educational process. And, um, and, and as I enjoyed the educational process, uh, of, of, of developing and growing in God's word and learning more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that I, I, I saw as I was even involved in the local church while I was in seminary under a phenomenal uh, uh, ministry, under phenomenal elders and in a great body, I learned very, very quickly as, I, as a young minister uh, over t about 20 years ago now, I got my calling next month, it'll be marked 20 years where I accept my calling to ministry. And, 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 and one of the things that I learned very, very quickly is seminary had its place, but there were things that seminary couldn't help me with. Seminary could help me parse verbs and understand Greek and background information. It could help me to learn historical theology, and it could help me to capsulize case studies and write papers and read in other languages and translate different books of the Bible and all those good things that are good foundational things to help me uh, to be able to have the tools to be able to mine the Word of God for the rest of my life so that I can grow as a man, grow as a husband, grow as a father, grow as a pastor, and a representative of Jesus Christ in the community. But when it came to ministry, I learned real quickly when I started doing ministry uh, in 1995, 96 in the inner city of South Dallas and being a youth pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and dealing with parents and teenagers uh, in the mid-90s, uh, um, going from there to do prison ministry, going into prisons, ministering in minimum, maximum, and low security prisons, and going from there to be an assistant pastor in a church where I had to lead the entire church under the charge of the senior pastor and do funerals and do premarital counseling and marrying and burying folks and doing 30 and 40 funerals a year and, and, um, and, and, and all of these different things and then going back and taking over a staff of 17 and working with the staff and working with uh, some other folks and then uh, shipping off the transition to Planet Epiphany Fellowship and having had been the pastor of Epiphany Fellowship for eight years, uh, there are things that seminary did not teach me. Seminary didn't teach me how to shepherd a husband and a wife through a very, very difficult time in their marriage. 
It just didn't teach me that. It didn't teach me how to shepherd a single who's struggling through their singleness and wondering why in the world does God not send them a mate and how you preach and minister and shepherd them into being walking in contentment under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it didn't teach me uh, how, how, how to break up church fights. It didn't teach me some, some things that was in the footnotes of Eternity's Manual that was not in one of my books that I read in seminary. But, but, but I had to learn those things and I had to develop in those things because it's very important not to just know the information and exegetical prowess of the scriptures, but it's also important to be able to practice those things and to practice practically everything that's in the word of God. And, and so we come to this text, which pretty much is homiletical suicide. It's the one where you don't preach if you want to keep people in the church. It's the one you, you, you preach if, if, if you want to stir up, quote-unquote, in people's minds, trouble. It's, it's, it's the one that you preach to sort of say, this God doesn't care about people. But my Bible says that every word in the Bible is God-breathed. And so everything in there, there's something in it for not just your life, but for the life of the church. And so we come to a passage that is just extremely difficult to deal with, not because there's difficult Greek in the passage, not because uh, there's difficult background information in the, path, uh, in the passage. That, that, that it's, it's, it's not really an exegetically difficult passage uh, for the most part. Uh, the, the, the issue with the passage is, is there are applicational truths in the Bible that we as the church have really had a difficult time with facing, and we as a church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, kind of skips over passages. That's why most pastors do topical sermons so that they can pick which passages they go to. But when you just preach through a book, you got to go to every single jot and tittle that God has for the church. And I believe that it's important to do that and to engage in what God calls us to engage in. So we come to this point, which is the linchpin of the book, where Paul is going to be dealing with a very hard issue in the church, sin. Sin. Um, sin. He's going to deal with the sinfulness of the church, uh, the lack of movement of the church, and how not dealing with sin in the church, unrepentant sin, can stunt its overall spiritual growth both corporately and individually. But then talking about the power of the gospel to change and restore people who are holistically repentant of their sin to be restored back into that local church. And so we come here and, 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 we, and, we, and we see here, which brings me to my first one. I got one point and one point only, uh, if you will. I don't have three points today. Uh, uh, first point and only point um, uh, under this facing unrepentant sin in the local churches. Healthy and maturing churches deal biblically with sin. Healthy and maturing churches uh, 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 deal uh, uh, biblically with sin. Now, don't feel any pressure to say amen today, okay? Because I already can feel the air getting thick um, in this place like a, like, like a 10-car garage and all the cars are on and the exhaust has filled the room. So I can already feel it. But you don't have to say amen, but you do have to know that this is a word from God. And, 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 and I pray that your lack of amen wouldn't be a rejection of God's word, but a meditation on his word, even if it hurts. That's okay. And I know I'm not going to get no help today because the first service definitely didn't help me at the first service. Um, and, 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 and that's okay. But, but, but they did hear God's word. Amen. So healthy and maturing churches deal biblically with sin. Let's just walk through this, and I, I, I'll see more teachy than preachy today. Is that okay? Uh, a, a little more teachy than preachy today. Um, but, 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 but Paul says, he, he says, it is actually reported. I like, I like that. He, Paul, had, you know, Paul, Paul had some informants. You know, he had informants. He didn't like meet in the alley and give him a stack, you know, or give him a couple of beans for giving him some information. A bean is in Philly is $100. Um, and so, just for y'all who looked at me real funny, but, 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 he, but, he, but, he, but, he, but he gets this informant that there really are people that walk with Jesus and 
have been discipled in some way by Paul or the apostolic teaching, and they have a biblical vision of what it looks like for the church to walk as a church. And so Paul would often ask them, how is the church doing? And they would give a good report in good areas and a challenging report in challenging areas. And so Paul got an earful from this person about the Corinthian church, and and that makes him write 13 chapters. I mean, I mean, he writes 13 chapters to the church. And, and in the middle of these, or, or, or third of the way into these 13 chapters, he writes on discipline. 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 And he comes here and he says, it is reported of me that there is actually sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. He said, for a man has his father's wife. Now, sexual immorality is not, see, let me just say something about sexual immorality. Every book of the New Testament, almost, I think I wrote a paper on this in, in, in seminary. I wrote a paper on just how almost every book of the Bible talks about sex in the New Testament. I mean, almost every single one except like Philemon and like second, third John, but even Jude, little Jude talks about sexual immorality. I mean, in his book, he's trying to walk through, he said, dang, I got to mention this though. Um, because sex was an issue in the church. Now, now, now you'll find out later that there, the people got married, they, they liked sex outside of marriage more than they liked sex within marriage. Now, now I, I don't want to pre-preach that. But there's something in that, all right? Now, now, now what, what, what ends up happening is sexual immorality was such a major issue. I mean, in Roman culture, I mean, Roman Hellenistic culture, I mean, people would go to parties, and it would be just craziness. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Hip-hop ain't seen no parties like this. You know what I'm saying? You know, rock and rollers ain't seen no parties like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm a multicultural type. I brought the, see the hip-hop and the rock. Anyway, um... <laughs> I mean, I mean, they ain't seen no parties like this. And then at, imagine being at the football game and women just uh, mooning people from the front. You know, it was, just, it was just girls gone wild on steroids. You know what I mean? And, 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 so, and so in that culture, they had a really deeply sexually entrenched culture to the point where the Jerusalem Council had to meet and say, hey, hey we're going to have to, as a leadership team, send out some principles because we teach them soteriology, which is the understanding of salvation and justification, uh, sanctification, glorification. We're teaching them, you know what I'm saying, about ecclesiology, uh, structure of church government, uh, uh, which Corinth didn't have church government at this time, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a strong one at that uh, set up. Um, and they, he said we talked about eschatology of Lazarus, but we're going to have to add one more theological class in the covenant community class for the church. We're going to have to add sexology into that mug. You know what I'm saying? In other words, so the people can know that sex comes from God, but it doesn't come from man. And that they would abstain from sexual immorality. But Paul says, I hear that, I don't just hear about your sexual immorality. He's going to deal with that in chapter 6 through chapter 7. He said, pagans don't even do what you do. He said, a man has. I like the way the Bible lays that out. You know, the Bible used the language of has, meaning he's getting it in with his dad's wife, which is crazy. I mean, that, that's, I mean, and that, now, now, now we're going to go over how crazy this was in the church, but what, why he said, the reason why he said that even pagans don't deal with this like this, because even in Roman culture, it was a law. Like, you could, you could, you could, you could, you could sleep with whoever you wanted. That's that, Roman law, you can sleep with, I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't even law for that. You can sleep with it, but you can't, but this was a law. You cannot commit incestual relationships, especially with your dad's wife. And if you committed this sin with your dad's wife, Roman law at that time says Caesar would send you to an island by yourself. That's how much, he, he said, Caesar like, now nah, he come up, you come up before Caesar, Caesar like, you know, I'm with this, I'm with that, but... I'm just not with this. You got to go to an aisle somewhere, right? 
And so Caesar, even, even, even Roman Hellenistic culture, saw that there were limits on things, which shows really the restraining power of the Spirit, even on how bad things can get in the world. And Paul says the restraining work of the Holy Spirit is more strong on the life of those who are not in the community of Christ than those who are in the community of Christ. And so, and so, and so he said, and what, what, what was happening is, is he was concerned because this was even a sin that they wouldn't do, that it would deteriorate the world's view of the church so that the missionary witness of the church wouldn't have viability because they would say, they're not only no different than us, they're worse than us. And so as Paul is helping them to administer this work of love, that's what this is. As he's calling them to administer this work of grace, he's challenging them about their need to be distinct. And even in our age, the church has lost its distinctiveness to the point where people don't really believe that there is no difference between the church and the world. I, I think I like to preach at, at times how sinful we all are and how, how we're a mess and we, and we need the Lord. But I don't want to preach that at the expense of the holiness of God. So the holiness of God is the standard, not where all a mess is a standard. Okay. And so, and, so, and so the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, there is no darkness at all. There is none, no none at all. It's a double negative showing you how there is no darkness or shifting shadow in Yahweh, and that expectation is to be a positional and progressive reality in the local church. And so he says he has his dad's wife which is phenomenal to me in this passage, which I will lay out a little bit more. He said, sinners don't even tolerate this, verse 2. And he says, and you are arrogant. Stop right there. Um, 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 arrogant is interesting because arrogant is interesting, interesting here because the word has been used in the last chapter extensively of the spiritual climate of the Corinthian church. Like I said, the Corinthian church was the church, it was a highfalutin church that valued people of status and devalued people who didn't have status in society and in the church. And so they, they, they had an inflated view of who they were, an overinflated view of who they were. And so their spiritual immaturity was rooted in their pride. Arrogant means to be puffed up. Seeing yourself not like God sees you, but seeing yourself like you want to be viewed by others like we talked about last week. So to act like, it means to act like or front like something exists in your life when it really, really doesn't. And so the Corinthian church has been called arrogant by Paul, and Paul is jamming them up, and he said, ought you not to mourn? This is a challenge here. Because mourning is a grace from God. It's a gift. Mourning and hurting about your sin is an act of great grace. One of the things the Spirit comes to do is convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm so it, it's, a, it's a great grace uh, to mourn and to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that when you blow it, you feel convicted. Not condemned. There's a difference. Condemnation leads leads to falling away from the Lord, okay? But, but, but conviction is God actually spanking your heart to lasso you back towards him. And so, and so, and so it's, really, it's really to let you know that the signal is off in your life. Not that the relationship has ended. When you sin, your relationship with God does not end like Adam's does. Christ's blood covers you so much that even your sin doesn't cause you to lose your relationship with God. But fellowship does get challenged. Uh, enjoying his presence does get challenged. He, he does that on purpose to make you feel the distance. Even though he's omnipresent and still there, he wants you to know that there's a disconnect relationally in relation to your fellowship with him. And so mourning is a grace. 
it's, 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 a, it's, 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 it's sort of like an alarm system that God has placed in the souls of Christians so that they would say, I can't go any further. God's convicting me. Every now and then in your life, you need to allow the morning power of the Spirit. Paul says, uh, uh, James says, what? make clean your hands and mourn over your sin. Solomon says there's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. See the grace of God in your tears when you sin. See the grace of God in your brokenness over you messing up. See it. Look at it clearly. Because the Bible has a lot to say about callous hearts. Has a lot to say. Be careful, family. Be very, very careful if you can sin with ease. If you can sin, and see, because this is how it starts. Starts you sin, you get convicted. And you keep moving towards your sin, you get convicted. And the conviction gets less because you're literally barricading, putting an avalanche between the voice of the Spirit and you putting yourself in the cave with your sin. You're like Smeagol off of Lord of the Rings who, who, who is so after this ring that he doesn't know that his entire life has deteriorated because he wants what he wants, what he wants, what he wants. God, God, is, God, is, like, God is like, sin shouldn't be easy for the Christian. I've sinned grievously many a time, and the Holy Spirit jabs my heart, and it feels horrific. Even at times, it feels like I'm not loved. But as I keep pressing towards him, in that morning, his presence comes. But they didn't mourn. It became a church of callous Christians. Came a church of callous Christians, and the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 1 that if you continue in your mess, God will hand your butt over. God said, I'll give you exactly what you desire. I'll give you right over to your degrading passions and your degrading lusts. Since you love it so much, here, have your way with it. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, I mean 3 verse 13, he says, let's encourage one another. While it's yet day, while today is today, that we don't get wrapped up in the deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because sin causes a hardening effect over our hearts, where our hearts uh, become like shelled uh, on the outside and, and needs to be broken in order to be fleshly towards its disposition in sensing who God is. Callous. They become a callous community. We become a callous community, and uh, God forbid we become a callous community. That doesn't mean we just shoot people, but it does mean that we honestly deal with sin. That means we honestly deal with brokenness. That means we honestly deal, that the church is a hospital for the broken. And, it's, and, and it has its arms open for the repentant, not the rebellious. And as Paul goes, he goes to a hard place, and he finally just lets it out. Let him be removed from your midst. One of the hardest verses in the Bible to me. He wants him removed from the church. If removed is in the past tense, means you should have already done this in the first place. Now, Paul, in saying this and being removed, this, this, is, this is a beast right here, in being removed and, 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 and being moved aside in the local church from God's radical strength of the community of faith. Because th- th- this, is, this is not an easy thing for the people of God to deal with, but it's a biblical part of what we're supposed to do, to love people. It's not loving to, to not deal with and judge sin. Now, you can say, all you want, God can judge me. Only God can judge me going Tupac ministry and some Rick Ross stuff. You know what I'm saying? Only God can judge me, huh? And all that. I'm going to just tell you right, I'm going to just tell you right now. I want you guys to judge me now. 
let me, let me make this plain. I would, if I fall, I would rather you guys judge me than to get before God and God's judge me. It's not funny to say only God can judge me. That, that's not funny. You don't want God to judge you. Because Jesus says, Jesus says, those who don't accept me have been judged already, but those who have accepted me have been passed out of judgment. So I'd rather this little court system here than to stand before a God of wrath, flaming eyes. Depart from me, ye doer of iniquities. I never really knew you. I'd be fearful of that. So because I'm in a relationship with God, we won't hear that. Because there will be people that get before him, this for free, they will get before him and say, did not I prophesy in your name? Did not I do? But salvation ain't about what you did in his name. It's about believing in his name. And I, I, I want to pass out of judgment from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the marvelous sun. And you can't lose your salvation, family. Get as fearful if you ever were saved, if you can sin with ease. Dealing with church discipline publicly is always a challenge. Um, we here at Epiphany Fellowship have dealt with our public and private cases. We've dealt with cases where people have never come before the church because they have repented of their sin. But on the hard days when we've had to deal with that, I remember, I'll never forget in the life of the church, which I'll talk about later, some of the churches I was raised in spiritually of just the godliness of how they dealt with sin in the local church. And God forbid we ever have to deal with it again. But the fact that we got sinners here, we probably will. But there's still open arms for those who holistically repent and come back to the Lord Jesus Christ through the local church. And so this guy probably was parading his sins. See, they didn't deal with it. They were arrogant. And the reason why, the reason why, so, so, so money is interesting. It said remove him, not her, which is interesting, which means that she probably wasn't even a believer. There was only one church in Corinth. It wasn't like she went to Ephesus and commuting, you know, like some of us do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it, it was one, in a city in the, old, in the New Testament, it was one church. You couldn't get ticked off at this church and run down the street. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, too. Because um, 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 you can't get removed here and run somewhere else. Yeah. It's in the book. And so there, there, there's, a sense biblically, there's a sense biblically in which in the scriptures there's, there, there's, a, there's a gorgeous sense that there's community cooperation. And we'll talk about that in a minute where the church cooperates to love a person so that they repent and return to that local community for restoration versus uh, a bastardized restoration. And I'll talk about that in a second. Let's look, at, let's look at verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. Stand with me, Father. Verse 3. For though absent in body... I am present in spirit. That's what he says. See, I ain't even there. And he said, I have already pronounced judgment. Paul, in his apostolic leadership, pronounced judgment. They didn't have elders in place at this time to lead them through the process of a restoration process. And so in this passage, it was on the responsibility of the church. Now, usually, if you look at a place, and I, uh, uh, you don't have to turn it, you can just write it down. You can write down uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses around the uh, 16th verse to the 20th verse, where Paul says that it was some dudes in Ephesus. He named Hermias and Alexander. He had already delivered them over to Satan. I'll talk about what that means in a second, that he did it, and he already expelled them from the church because when there weren't elders in the church, the, ap the, uh, uh, the apostolic leadership act as the leading guides for church discipline and judgments in the local church prior to eldership being developed. You also see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, because Paul had told the, Corinthian church, uh, the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20, verses about the 20th verse to the 28th verse, probably about the 25th to the 28th verse, he told them. He says, when I leave, there will be men that come around in this flock and they will not spare the flock, but you stand. And so what happened is, is because the elders didn't stand in protecting the flock, 
Paul had to send Timothy based on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He said, for this reason I have left you in Ephesus, that you may teach certain men not to teach strange doctrine. Verse 18, of them are Herminius and Alexander, of Demas and Alexander, of whom I've already de- de- delivered to Satan in order that they may be taught not to blaspheme. In the book of Titus, when Titus goes on and there's no eldership developed, in Titus verse chapter 1, verse 5, he says, appoint elders in every place. But until then, in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, challenge those who are insubordinate to the spiritual authority that I've invested in you and to the leaders that you're going to appoint. Chapter 3, verses uh, 8 through 11, he says, those who cause divisiveness in the body, warn them once, warn them twice, have nothing to do with them. So, 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 so the charge of this is, is Paul's, uh, not, this, this is a consistent philosophy in line with Jesus' understanding of it for the church. He said, I've already judged the matter. Perfect, active, indicative, perfect at a particular time in the past that should have present results. Perfect. Then he says in verse 4, he says, when you are assembled, I love this. It's something about being assembled. Now, let me just tell you something about this word Assemble this idea of assembly is, is powerful because the assembly of the saints, God, like we all know, like you know, Jesus Christ saved you and dwell by the Spirit. But when the church assembles, there is a way in which God is officially present that He's not usually present. That's why Jesus says to believers who will have the Spirit, He says, If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. In other words, he's affirming them as a local community. That's why when Peter said something powerful, I mean, Jesus said something powerful in Matthew 16. Y'all still trekking with me, right? In Matthew 16, he says something powerful. He he says, upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I am giving you the keys to the kingdom so that whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. It applicationally applies to the gathering of the saints, proclaiming together under the leadership of the church an act of assembly that's official to the church that God honors as an announcement of what he's already done in heaven. Okay, and so, and so, and so here... And so here he says, when you assemble, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I love it. He ain't talking about, you know, just a potluck and, you know, you know, uh, going to the movies, you know, going out, you know, getting some sippy sip. It's talking about, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. And so he's saying the Holy Spirit, he said, Jesus is present. He's like in the room in an extremely literal sense. In my apostolic, since I'm not there, I'm going to lend you my apostolic authority because you don't have a leadership structure. So I'm going to lend this to you temporarily for you to enact as if I was there in what I would do. Okay? Now, 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 now he says, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Jesus. Very difficult word to have. It's to be delivered over to Satan. To be delivered over to Satan is a challenging idea. To be delivered over to Satan means that you're no longer operationally functional under the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1 verses 11 through about the 13th verse says, we have been transferred by, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son. Now, people don't recognize that when you are a believer and functionally a part of the body, you are under God's hedge of protection. There is a hedge of protection that's invisible to you. And there are limitations on how much the devil can do to you. Job and Job 1.10, old Slewfoot went up into heaven, Satan, and he went up into heaven with the sons of God, and God's like, what you doing here, man? He said, I, you know, you know me, you know how I do. I'm on my grind around the earth, you know? He said, did you grind over by my man Job? He said, 
Well, I mean, you know, I tried to get up in there, you know, but you got the locks on them. You got that hedge thing around, that invisible thing where I can't really get to them like I really want to. Why don't you snatch that joint off? God says, okay, all that he has is in your hands. Stage one of hedge removal. But he, Job wasn't under spiritual discipline. He wasn't under discipline. He was under, he was under God glorifying himself through this. Now, now, now in, jo- and in Job chapter 2, it's crazy. In Job chapter 2, he co- old Slewfoot comes back up there. He said, what happened? My man stood, didn't he? <laughs> God's laughing at Satan in his grill, right? That's how God looks at Satan. He's a sucker to him, right? He looks, he's a punk to him. You know what I'm saying? He's like, what happened? What happened? Did he? He said, nah, but I bet you. He said, all right. He said, I'm going to take the last hedge off. Not the full. I'm not going to take it all off. You could touch his body, but you can't kill him. In other words, there's a hedge invisibly behind all of us. Now, Satan is able to oppose us. He's able to snitch on us because he does tell God about our sin. He's the accuser of the brethren. Okay? He, he can tempt. He can do all those things. He can even hinder. 1 Thessalonians 3.8. He can hinder. But there are limitations to how much the devil can get to your life. Now, when you're handed over to Satan, you're functionally, even though you may be a believer, if you were in the first place, when you're handed over to Satan, you are removed from the protective covenant community covering. That's why it's important that if a person gets disciplined by the church, the church follows the leadership. Let me tell you why. Because the purpose of them being handed over to Satan is so that they can feel the community shunning them. And so that they can be driven back to God. It's an act of love. But sometimes I have every friend I know in ministry has had someone that they've had to expel from the church. And what will happen is, is that person or persons will get with people in the church and they'll get with them. And then what happens is there's an arrogance that's developed. And what happens is, is instead of that person feeling the brokenness of their sin and their need for God, what happens is they're coddled in their sin and they're coddled in their mess. And actually they get more hardened and arrogant and boisterous about their sin because the people of God refuse to apply the Bible. That's why I call them arrogant. In our day, this is the only day in our day where somebody can get disciplined at a church and go down the street and act like, you, you, and let me just tell you something, you come here under discipline, we're going to send you back. If we, if we find out, we found out a dude one time was under discipline. We said, we love you and we want you to be a part of this church. But you got unfinished business. And we're not going to bring your gangrene here with your unrepentant self. You go back to that church and submit to those leaders or you don't go to no church at all. I ain't so hungry for somebody that I want gangrene in here. We love you enough. And this counts for me. Because 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, if there is an elder, and all of these elders points for them, if any of us are in unrepentant sin, rebuke him in front of all that all may fear. Senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever you want to call him, doesn't have a lock on the church. That's why there's elders, not elder. So that there can be a community of co-equal Leaders who hold each other accountable to walk with Jesus. So Paul comes here and as he goes, he said, we're delivering you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. This means a myriad of things, but they have applications in a lot of areas. It can mean like you get killed, like there's a sin based on 1 John 5 that leads to death. But God says, I'm not going to let you represent me no more. Bye. You're coming back to me. Because the way you're representing me is a plumb mess. And I'm going to take your life. Help us, God. A rewardless eternity. When you get God, but you didn't get the benefits of walking with him and going joyfully into heaven. For the destruction of your flesh can so point applicationally and positionally to going out there and sowing your royal oats so that you'll know that there was no oats really out there. 
That's the prodigal son. The prodigal son, guess what he did? He went out there and came to the end of his fleshly self. Didn't he? And what was the first thing he did? Did he go to somebody else's house? No. He said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. He said, I'm going to go back to my dad's house. I'll be, and he didn't come back. He didn't come back like, man, they better, they better act right now. Guess what he did? He said, I'll just, I, don't, I don't want nothing. I, I, don't, I don't want, I don't, I, look, if I can just be a servant, I don't even want to be a son anymore. If you just let me back in, I just want the fellowship again. I, I, just, I just want your, I just want dad's presence again. See, 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 that's when you know somebody's repentant of their sin, when they just want dad's presence again, and they're not, they're not angry at anybody, they're not telling who wronged me, who pissed me off, but I just need him one more time in my life. That's, 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 that's where it is. Help me today, God. They don't publish anger towards the church. They break their hearts. They rip their garments and their hearts, like Joel talks about. And they come repentantly to the church so that they come back to God's hedge of protection where God is at work. And Paul says, and your boasting is not good. Do, not, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? This is crazy. Because basically what he's saying is, if you keep an unrepentant person in the local church while they're unrepentant, it will spread to others because it will create a mentality that sinning with unrepentance is cool. I've seen it. And it spreads to other people sinning and falling away from the faith. I've seen it. See, when you know someone's repentant is when the repentance goes viral with everybody around them. That's what this is for, for viral repentance in the local church. Not for any other type of virus in the local church. And so he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. He says, as you are really, as you really are unleavened for Christ. That means in Christ, you don't have any this is crazy. He's telling them while they're arrogant that they don't have arrogance. That's the gospel. He's telling them that positionally, you're not arrogant as a church, even in your sin right now, but practically you are. Therefore, in order to restore a picture of holiness to the church and to decalcimate the hearts of God's people, Remove him. Now check it out. He says, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now when the Passover comes, he's pointing to the Passover. I told you I was going to teach you today. Just stay, stay with me. When Passover would happen, they would take a lump of leavened bread and put it aside as to expel it. Because if you put leaven in the lump, it'll get into the rest of the bread. Okay? And so what they would do is they would cut that off and put a leaven piece out during Passover. And what they would do is their Passover was pointing back. And, it, it, and, if, and, and, and unleavened bread pointed to those who weren't puffed up, but who put the blood of, the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. Those who are, that, 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 fought, that leaven piece pointed to those who didn't believe. That's why Jesus told his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why did he say that? He said, the text says specifically in Luke, their unbelief. So leaven points to unbelief, unleaven points to belief. He's saying, when you remove this person, you're reenacting the Passover. And you're reenacting the fact that you put blood over the doorpost and you're allowing repentance and the blood ultimately pointing to Christ to cover your sin while that person functionally acts like they're not under the Passover lamb. What's powerful about this challenge is it's a call for the person on the outside to see the blood on the doorpost again. So that they can return. I'll never forget it. My father in ministry church, I I went there and pastor, he got up, he always did pastoral reflection. He old school. You know, he did pastoral reflection, but pastor talked about 15, 20 minutes in the middle. Y'all don't know nothing about that. 
me just get up. And I didn't even the sermon. He just in the middle of the gathering, just stand up and just start waxing elephant, eloquent, not elephant, eloquent, <laughs> wrecking, right? And then, and then he gets up at the end, and at the end, he does some special announcement. He said, he named some names, Susie Smith, Joseph Butler. I'm just naming some names. He said, these people, we as the elders of the church, have now delivered them over to Satan. We've worked with them and tried to work with them. But we've delivered, it's like 4,000 people in the church, 4,000 people. It was the crazy, I never seen. Like, and they weren't just doing that. Like, they weren't like some church. Some churches have somebody doing that every Sunday. Like, because they, 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 they don't, they, it's not a gracious church. So they, they're like happy about church discipline, which that's crazy, okay? So he, he, he reads, he reads it and, and says, we've delivered them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that in the day of Jesus Christ, their spirit may be saved. I was like, now y'all got to understand, I was like 22. You know what I'm saying? I've been a Christian like a few years. I was rocked. I'm talking about, I was like, he just said money name like in front of everybody, right? <laughs> but what's funny, he read the scriptures and boom, right? Then about three years later, he stands up in front of the church. It was crazy. He stood up in front of the church and he says, he says, he says, um, three years ago there was a man that was part of this church that I named his name in front of the church because he was on heroin and he was committing adultery. He was wilding. Um, but he said, I would like to kill the fatted calf because the prodigal son has come home. A 50-year-old man walks down the aisle. I'm going to just tell you right now. I started making snow angels in the aisle. I would just, you know what I'm saying? I was, I was, bur- I'm talking about, I've never cried like that ever in my life. I mean, I cried so hard. And he came back and the elders laid their hands on him. And the last thing they say was, we restore you to all the rights and privileges of the body of Christ. And then he says, but sin, that's not it though. He said, he said but sin has its consequences. And he said, but every now and then God is gracious in returning those consequences to not be consequences, but blessings. And he said, this man lost his wife and children, but we're going to bring her up here and we're going to remarry them today on Sunday morning. I was like, I, was, I mean, y'all, I, I, I don't know what I did then. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I can't even remember. And then he said and he lost his children, and they disowned him as their dad. Then his children were the brides and groom maids and everything. And he married them. And he said, after this gathering, I want everybody to come forward, and I want us to welcome our brother home. Listen, church discipline is a very, very difficult thing that the church has to do. But it's necessary. But the goal is not hatred. The goal is not divisiveness. The goal is restoration. But the key is this, family, is it got to happen in the local church. Nowhere else. Amen? Father, we love you, and thank you for Jesus Christ, and thank you for the power of the Spirit, and thank you for your word and your works and your love for us and your commitment to us. And so, God, I pray today that we would walk with you and commit our hearts more deeply to you by dealing with our sin holistically. Um, because you've already dealt with it. So it's not like we're hiding something from you. Christ already died for the sin that we're hiding to admit to you. Help us to fear you, have reverence for your holiness, and help us to see the need to be connected to the church. Like, help us to see that the church is a grace from you, a blessing from you, and even a help to help us to be exhorted while it's still day that we may walk with you and commit our hearts to you more deeply. And maybe there's someone here today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior.